Artism Podcast, where we explore creativity, inspiration, and the determination it takes to be an artisan. This podcast is for artisans, by artisans. I'm your host, Kathy Duraghi, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to our next guest. Everybody, welcome to this episode of the Artisan Podcast. My guest today is Jamie Levy, who I first met at a conference. I don't quite remember what conference it was, but I remember I think it was one of the first times, Jamie, that I even heard the the distinction of user experience. Now, oh, wow. is she talking about this? Must have been about maybe fifteen years ago or so. And were we both at the conference or was I speaking at it? You were speaking at it. You were speaking at it. And I don't know if it was, but my mind goes to Universal State Fullerton. But I don't know if that rings a bell for you. Um, I don't know that I've been there. Okay, so maybe uh, it was somewhere else. I don't remember where it was, but I remember that ever since whatever it is that you heard, uh, I came back and I started following you on LinkedIn and have been kind of just watching your career trajectory. And I was super excited to see that you had written a book, UX Strategy, and that the audio version has just come out. So I just wanted to have a conversation about you, about the book, about you, about how you started your path and go from there. All right. I'm honored. I I enjoyed meeting you back then too. (laughs) Very cool. So what one thing that I've noticed, uh, kind of just going back and having watched you over the years and looking back on your LinkedIn profile, is I noticed this trend of reinvention with you from a designer to a strategist to an author to a public speaker to a professor, and how all of that's going to come together for you. I just found it fascinating. So I'd love for you to kind of just talk about your origin story and kind of what's steps you've taken to come here um let's see well I mean I guess it started uh I mean even before the browser when I was creating my floppy disk magazines you know and I was a graduate student at NYU and just really interested in nonlinear storytelling and um, and then trying to invent like this new medium, like it was just this total insane dreamer thing. And I guess because the floppy disk, I made, I, 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 I actually finished it, and then I successfully brought the product to market by selling it. You know, a floppy disk that had, you know, opened into a hypercard or director presentation. I know, I know for all the newbies, they're like, what are you talking about? Um, don't worry, you don't need to know, you don't need to know this old school stuff. But you know, it used to be really hard to make interactive presentations. But the upside of all of that was that you could, you were you could be the first or you could do something that is only mediocre in design, but because it was the first, it was like, yay. So um you know, that was how I started it out. I was a horrible interface designer and um, a horrible coder, but I just kept, you know, pounding on these floppy disks. And then, you know, you know, the short version of it is Billy Idol bought one, you know, and then it got launched as a commercial endeavor. And then I got, you know, my gigs at, at EMI Records and Viacom, and it all just kept going from there, you know, to eventually you know, doing an online magazine 
and then getting a creative director role and just constantly working, you know, like I, I'm a, I really believe that if you just keep working, you know, and applying yourself and learning new things that eventually you'll connect and get whatever it is, you know, that you want your the job or some gig or an opportunity. And I think that relentlessness uh, to just, you know, persevere was something that has stayed with me. And I actually need to kind of manifest it now as I'm starting my next, you know, chapter of my career. Um, you know, but that was, that was basically, you know, before UX, it was called interface design. And then after interface design, you know, then it was web design. And then after web design, I was doing, uh, you know, then we had, you know, information architecture and interaction design and by the time I got back to LA after, you know, 9-11 and the dot-com thing crashed in New York, you know, as well as, you know, San Francisco and, and LA, um, I came back here and it seemed I, I, at that point I needed to focus. And, um, and I should mention like early on as a result of the disc, I was asked to be a part-time professor at NYU and I did get uh, flown around the country or the world to speak at conferences. And I think like when you have that success, when you start out, you think that's normal. And so for me, it's just been catching up with my old normal and it's, it's a, a curse and a blessing. And the blessing is obvious because you're like, oh, I just want to, you know, continue to be a, you know, a public speaker. Or I want to continue being known or recognized for my work. But the negative consequences, it's an addiction. It's like a high that you, you know, you're set here and you think, oh, I always have to kind of be at this level of an overachiever. And so, you know, in that sense, I feel like I, you know, didn't engage in my own personal life, you know, because I sacrificed it for my career um, so much and didn't really like relax into it until my 30s when I got back to Los Angeles. Interesting. I saw you actually speak about um, in one of your talks, that's uh, I think it was your Brazil talk about being an overachiever and kind of what that means and constantly trying to do things, new things or do things in a new way. Um, I, I found that fascinating. It's kind of, it kind of went to that same reinvention theme that um, I, I recognize and what you were talking about. So thanks for sharing that. So now you so you mentioned the new chapter, new iteration of Jamie. New. It's in progress. Um, so, uh, you know, I did my first book and then uh, and I did really well with the first book. It was not I was insane I, to write a book that was like so crazy. Um, but I just felt like UX strategy is so interesting and even though nobody was paying me to write it and you certainly don't make money off of a book. Don't think that, um, you know, I just was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take a year and a half and spend my savings and write a book and sit in the library. And, and it was really rewarding. And so then when it came time to do a second edition, if I wanted to be current, I did that and I did it during the lockdown. So that was kind of a good thing to do when you, uh, you know, can't really, uh, you know, go teach in a classroom or go, you know, run workshops in the public 
uh, you know, in a public space. Um, but basically, um, you know, my book has now out in the second edition is being translated into languages. And uh, I just found out it's in German and Italian and Portuguese this time, you know, on top of the other six languages. And, and that's really exciting. Um, you know, but the thing with the book is you need to promote it and, you know, and you need to go do things to promote, to market it. Like whenever you make anything, whether it be a floppy disk or a website or an app or a book, or you're marketing yourself as a public speaker, it's one thing that you do it, but the other half of it is in order to be successful is you just got to market yourself or it, your product. And it's fine, I think, when I get paid to do growth design and markets, you know, and do run experiments to market other people's products. Um, but I think I've kind of, at least right now, I feel like I've, I'm, I'm just kind of over it. You know, I'm over, I'm over marketing myself. Like, I, all of a sudden, I feel like, ah, can't like just be simple again. Let me just get a job, you know, ideally as a UX strategist. And, you know, and that's it, you know, let things quiet down. And so you could say it's an existential post midlife crisis, or maybe it's a phase, but I just had a, a, a job interview with a company that I hope I get. And, um, and they were telling me that they just had written an article related to this subject about so many people, like basically looking at their careers and saying, do I even want to do this? Like, I feel like COVID hit the reset button for a ton of people. And so now I'm less killing myself about, oh, wow, I'm really not going to go go crazy promoting this book because I don't feel like it. Is there something wrong with me? Or is it just like, maybe I just have to accept, like, let the book do, let people read the book. I hope they like it. If people ask me to speak, fine. But like, you know, I think it's like at a certain point, you just, you know, you have to say, okay, where's friction? And, uh, and, and friction is trying to go tour and do workshops at the, what we hope might be the end of the pandemic, but isn't the, you know, it's like, I have, I suffered the same fate as people who, you know, were in an orchestra, you know, or who had movies that came out, you know, so I, I'm in great company of people who made their money by doing things for the public and in person. And now that, you know, there's no UX conferences really planned. I'm speaking at the one in Estonia, one this year, zero last year, zero the year before, you know, so it makes you, you know, say, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Uh, and you're right. It definitely has been a uh, reset button on many fronts. We, we've seen this so much with so many of the candidates that we work with where reevaluating okay, I've been doing X, Y, Z until now. Do I still want to do it? I'm just going to, do I still want to live here? And just kind of just really just evaluating everything. But I so totally hear you about the book because I also wrote a book during this pandemic. Um, I had been working on it for three years, which was far too long, but that's just the, the length of time that it took. And right. you know, the, the circumstances where we found ourselves allowed me to finish it. So I am grateful about that. That was the silver lining in this, in this crazy year yeah. that it allowed me to finish it and get it out. But it's just sitting there. <laughs> it's, it's nowhere near where it needs to be, but it is what it is. It's a story I needed to get out. I got it out. Now, if people find it, awesome. And if they don't, 
we'll cross that bridge. What's your book called? It's called The Butterfly Years. And it's just my personal story dealing with grief and has nothing to do with artisan or anything like that. But it has everything to do with, with me. And obviously, as somebody who's running a company, going to have to come to grips with and having to manage grief and handling that. Otherwise, it permeates everything. We'll have to check it, it out. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. If it helps people answer. out there, you know, it's really, it's there. If somebody's going through it and they need to hear somebody else's story who's been in the same boat, then mm. I've done my job. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so when I heard that you had done your second edition and you had just done an audio book, um, I thought, you know what, this is, I want to talk to her and kind of just see how that whole process was for her. Cool. Excellent. But congratulations on your interview. And I hope that it ends up being the next, the right next thing. I hope you. so too. That would be great if my first interview turned into a job offer. Put <laughs> <laughs> the good vibes. They were, were very surprised because it was a UX strategy position and I didn't have anywhere in my portfolio that I wrote, you know, like I didn't want to say like, I literally wrote the book on UX strategy, you know, because then they think, oh, she's not humble or she's too experienced. So I, I I didn't mention it. And they're like, they saw something in there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I wrote a book kind of related to UX strategy. And they're like, what's it called? I'm like, UX strategy. <laughs> like, I can't even own it. I can't even own it. You know, like, I'm just like, ah, it's so shocking. Yeah. But um yeah, you know, I really like, I, I want the opportunity to practice what I preach enough running around, uh, uh, you know, with the same lectures and enough, uh, you know, train, I've done so much training in the last year. Like now I just feel like, I think, I think sometimes we just need to go back and forth and be okay with it. You know, I'm not saying I'll never do workshops again. I just need to take a break, you know, from, from that part of it or, or, and, and, uh, pursue it. So, you know, so yeah, hopefully something will come up for me, uh, you know, that, that, that is enjoyable because I think it's important, uh, to have a job you like. And what I was shocked by when I looked at the job market this time was, oh my God, there's 8,624 UX jobs in this country. And, 30 or 40% of them are remote and there's actually jobs advertised for a UX strategist title. Like it used to just meet me and two other people. And, you know, I don't know if my book, uh, you know, helped define the industry, but it seems like when I read the job description, it had everything that I wrote about in my book. So it's, you know, it, it's just a, a really exciting time that there's so much opportunity out there, you know, yeah, for sure. And actually, I'd love for you to to maybe help define that a little bit, because um, obviously we hear, you know, there's on the design side of it, UX, there's XD, now it's customer experience, employee experience. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know for, you know, just what I've heard you talk about before is really the research and the strategy is the precursor before you even get into the design part of it. Um, and I think that thinking time is so important to be able to, to do that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Are you talking about like the discovery phase or what yeah. UX strategy is or 
Um, a little bit of both, actually. Sure. Uh, so I basically define UX strategy as the intersection between you know product design and business strategy. So business strategy is the top level vision of an organization, which is you know what is you know how how do we make money? Who are our customers? You know, a business is defined ultimately by their customers. You know, then um, so they have a vision, and the vision might be a platform, multiple products, a suite of products or one product. And, you know, then it's like, how do you, you know, really elevate that product and bring it to market so that when people have that first whiff of it, they're like, smells awesome. Um, and so when I started doing discovery phases back in 2000, whenever, eight, 2009, um, for schematic and for huge, um, uh, I really fell in love with it because I love doing competitive research. Um, it's so interesting. I mean, who doesn't want to get paid to, to research the marketplace? And I love the idea of finally getting to user research. And so that was when I really became interested in it and realized that there was nothing out there that told us how to do it. Um, so we really had to just kind of, you know, I would just make things up as, as I went along. And, and as I moved from different organization to or I, I would just clean up my deliverables and take them to the next level. Um, and then when Lean Startup came out, um, you know, and this whole concept of, you know, people don't think of Lean Startup as a product strategy methodology, but I certainly do. It's like this idea, like, you know, build the smallest version of your product, get it in front of your target customer, uh, learn from it, whether it be an alpha or a uh, prototype, um, you know, extract data from these learnings and, and learn from it and then, uh, and then iterate, you know? Um, and so all of a sudden the discovery phase became not something where like waterfall, like first we do discovery, then we do implementation, then we do usability testing and find out at the very end that, not only does our product suck, but nobody wants it, you know, like, it's like, it was insane. And so now all of a sudden, it's like the discovery phase became something that could be iterative and cross into the implementation phase, and that you could start building products and doing strategy and testing it and validating it, um, you know, in much smaller loops all along the way. And so that's like what's really exciting is an opportunity to run some kind of experiments to knock out, to do rapid prototyping, um, you know, to use whatever it is, you know, Sketch XD, um, other prototyping tools, you know, to, to really get business concepts in front of the target users and start doing user research that's more focused on validating a value proposition versus, you know, is this thing usable? Because who cares, if, even if it's like really usable, but nobody wants it, then who cares if it's usable, right? Yeah, very true, very true. Yeah, there's plenty of products out there with great usability, but uh, they're sitting on the shelf. I probably have a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, fantastic. You talked a little bit about this, but I think given where you are, kind of just, you know, pivoting again in where you see 
the future to be for you at, at this juncture. What can you share with people who are either just starting out in their career path and or because of this past year lost their positions and they have to reinvent themselves. Where is it that you dig down deep to find that inspiration and that determination to just say, you know what, this isn't working. Let me refigure, figure out where it is that I want to go. Yeah, I think it's, I think just to be honest, it's, it's very different for someone like me with, uh, you know, two to three decades in the industry versus somebody who's starting out. So I wouldn't give someone the same advice I would give myself, you know, there's definitely different things going on, you know, so I can remember well, very well when I was starting out and these same feelings that I have now are similar, um, which is it's easy to, for me, I, I don't know, it's easy to, uh, when you're looking, my dad gave me this great advice, you know, when you're looking for a job or when you're starting on your career, you know, and you interview with people, you want to be careful, you know, that you don't have like this flashing, you know, L on your head, loser, 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 you know, um, and because people will spot this lack of confidence or low self-esteem, you know, and it doesn't matter how successful you are or have been like me, Uh because, you know, you can still have low self-esteem or imposter syndrome. And so it's like you need to like somehow put all of these fears of I suck. I'm not going to make it. I'm an imposter. I am so crazy that I thought I could do this field to begin with. I'm too old or I'm too young or my portfolio doesn't have XXX. Like, you know, I have to constantly work on this to this minute, you know, which is spinning a much more positive narrative in my head that no, no, I have something to of value to give. And then putting that negative energy into, uh, you know, putting it like, okay, I'm going to knock it out with whatever it is, therapy, exercise, you know, whatever you need to do to take care of yourself. But I, I still, to this day, put it into how can I showcase my work? What's missing? You know, look at my portfolio. Okay, it has all this, but it's missing, you know, this one, you know, deliverable. Well, I better make it, fake it till you make it, you know, and, and figure out a way to like get it in there. And the funny thing is, is they may not even ask for it on that job interview, but if it's like this thing that you think is missing, then it's going to be flashing the L on your forehead. And so to me, it's, it's like puffing yourself up and what is it going to do to make you confident for these interviews? And it's like, if, if, if you're, if you, if showing your portfolio and, and getting excited around the storytelling of your UX design, which it still is for me, um, then, then get that into your portfolio and any missing things, any, you know, don't spend eight hours a day looking for a job, spend four hours and the other four hours teaching yourself a new tool because there's always going to be new things to learn. And if you're not opening open to learning new things up until, you know, your 50s and 60s, then whenever that is where you're not open to new things, you better be at that last job that you're going to station yourself at um, because the industry, I promise you, just keeps on changing. You know, it's amazing. Gosh, great advice. I think for all levels of 
all levels of career um, years in the industry and also not even to have to do with, with business. I think for anything where we tend to sometimes focus in on the thing we don't have versus on the things that we do have, it's just such a great lesson to say, you know what, just reshift that mindset. There's a great book um, <clears throat> that I read a couple of years ago by this woman called ha Sally Helgeson, and it's called How Women Rise. And she talks a lot about specifically women and how we get into this mindset of, oh, but you know what, let me work harder because I'm missing this 10% thing and not focus on the 90% that I have. And it's just, it's crazy. crazy. And I see it all the time. I see it not just in candidates. I see it in myself and, yeah. you know, and putting myself out for a, a conversation or a talk or something. And if I don't get it, it's like, ah, that's because I didn't talk about this. Well, you know what, maybe it just wasn't the right thing. So yeah, great, great <laughs> lesson. And I think it also, that, that whole thing, it yeah. also speaks of desperation. And I think that that comes through so loud and clear. It erodes the confidence that um, should naturally be there if somebody's worked at their craft. So. Yeah, and we need to, no matter in this field of product design or research, you know, it's like if ultimately we're making something that we need to upsell at the very end even if it's to our boss and say, yeah, this is awesome. You know, and it's like, oh my God, if we come to it from this place of fear, it's, we're never going to sell it. I think like it's, it's easy to focus on the negatives for a lot of us. And, um, you know, we just can't afford to do that in our field because we're always upselling our work. Yeah. Have you ever taken the strengths finder assessment? Have you ever done that? No, I don't even know what that is. It's it's similar to a DISC or um, Myers-Briggs, but it, mm -hmm. it focuses on your strengths. And the reason I like it, we we do it for our company and um, it, it's we, we talk about our strengths all the time, uh, created by this guy called Clif Don Clifton, uh, and now it's part mm -hmm. of Gallup. Um, so it's an assess personality assessment. And the whole reason for him bringing it up and creating this was that he felt people focused on their weaknesses and not on their strengths. Interesting. So th the whole thing is about what are your top five strengths and just let's lead with your strengths and not focus on the thing that is number 30 something for you. Let's focus on the, the things that you're really good at and then find someone else who your bottom five is their top five and then collaborates. So it's, it, you know, it just sounds like it's, you know, it's just human nature that we go there. Yeah. If we could learn not to go there, it would be less, um, I think less of a headache for all of us. All <laughs> I agree. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I know you, obviously you're, you're teaching, you're doing online courses uh you're you know you're still you mentioned that you're doing a talk in estonia are you how are you doing that in person are you doing that virtually kind of how are you managing your time and in, in all the different places you need to be or how did you actually say manage your time in all the different places you need it to be yeah i i don't know how i'm managing my time right now yet it's still i'm still waiting to see where where a bunch of things land um, but the Estonia conference is, a, is the first on-site conference 
uh, since COVID, you know, since 20, I guess, what, what is it? 2020, March of 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, well, basically there's very few conferences in, in the beginning of the year in the first quarter anyway. Um, so anyway, that it's the, web usability or usability day i think is you know their their legacy name um but um they're having a it's a one day conference um and then there's workshops uh the three days prior to it it's in estonia it's very affordable it's going to bring in like a, a massive uh crowd of uh ux professionals a, a lot i think they told me that it was uh, a lot of new ones, but people mid-level and so, so and, and all over the place. And they're coming from Estonia, but they're also coming across, you know, the Baltic into Finland and um, and a couple of other uh, Baltic states. So um, I'm closing the conference. So I guess I'm kind of headlining it. And then my workshop is one day right before that. So that's so November 20. I don't know what it is. I think 25th is my UX strategy workshop and November 26th is a conference or, or back at by one day. It's a Thursday, Friday. Um, so, but I'll be in uh, Berlin uh, back in November. Um, and then I'm doing some, a couple talks, uh, just private ones where I'm flying in and then going back to Berlin. And then I'm going to do this thing in Estonia. Um, I, I'm not that... I am so over this idea of more online workshops. I just think they're a joke. Sorry, guys. But like the whole point of, uh, I mean, workshops, conferences, like the whole point of conferences was to get people together physically in a space to network and to, you know, really touch base with other people and build relationships. And it just seems like, you know, I've done a bunch of these you know, fake ass conferences, you know, and it just doesn't feel the same. They never pay and it's like a joke. So I'm not into those anymore. And um, so I'm really stoked that these people, you know, the the, the case, the cases, uh, COVID cases are extremely low um, right. there. You know, I've had my third vaccine already, so I'm totally going and, you know, I won't be like, uh, you know, taking too much risk, but definitely I'm really excited to be around humans and, um, and doing my thing. Yeah. Humans, human connection. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm traveling internationally for the first time since March of last year as well. And I'm going to Mexico and then to Dubai. Oh, wow. But like I have to navigate the whole PCR test thing because I'm not going to be in the states for three days before I go. So I, I got to figure that part of it out. Yeah, yeah it's back it's a on lot easier now. People, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. I, it's a crazy time. I can't believe really what happened. You know how much the pandemic just changed everything. You know, it's just it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Are, it's you really seeing, are you seeing that? Um, in in the world of products, are you seeing what's happened with the pandemic impact, whether it be design thinking or about how people are approaching research? I would imagine that it's changed how people are looking at how they 
Yeah, well, everything's, yeah, everything's online now. Um, You know, when I left Huge uh, back in whatever it was, 2009, 2010, I was because I didn't want to drive in my car in rush hour to agency land in Culver City. And I didn't want to work in, you know, just I wanted to work from home, you know. And so I've been working remote since 2010 and it's not new to me in Cisco systems when I worked for them as a UX strategist, like everybody was a remote workforce. So finally the rest of the world is catching up with us and learning that it is possible and, and even outside of product, you know, so I, I think it's it's opening up opportunities in many ways, but what the negative consequence, and I felt this when I taught, uh, my last course at Claremont University was that, you know, my students who were graduating, they were just getting, you know, they're getting internships, but they're online, you know, at Facebook or wherever. And it's like at, at, at any point in your life where you need human contact and you need the nuance of someone kind of seeing that you're confused and you need mentoring or you need to get at the confidence to ask for help, we need that to be in person, you know, like I, I feel the, the the people that are getting like the, the worst end of the deal is, is the college graduates, you know, the people who are just starting their career, who, you know, have to start it by themselves in their, in, you know, in Zoom rooms. And so, you know, hopefully, you know, there, there's going to be some way, you know, that it isn't just this experience of online collaboration, because I just feel like even when I came, had my second or third cat life of getting into the UX world, I can't even imagine that I would have had the trust and camaraderie that I had with people at Schematic who came over and showed me how to wireframe when nobody was looking. Um, I, I, you know, so hopefully maybe there's some way that people can reach out and have people to connect with for that kind of support since they can't get it in person. The whole mentoring piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. Taking somebody under your wing. Um, it's harder to do it this way. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I have some nieces and nephews who started their first year in college last year. Mm. You know, you've work really hard you get into the school of your choice but you really uh-huh. don't get a chance to really experience that you don't get to experience that so now as a sophomore they're getting to experience it for the first time because now some of their classes are in person so it's really interesting to kind of watch this new this generation um, yeah both as those who are starting and those who are graduating it's just a very different world for sure yeah it's it's crazy yeah. it's really crazy and maybe five years from now we'll look back on that and go Oh man, you know, it was so great. Why didn't we just do all that remote work? And it was so easy, you know, but it was weird. I just got off the phone with a client and he's just like saying that he's not leaving the house and he doesn't want to get the vaccine because he uh, got almost died from a vaccine from something else a long time ago. And so he's just like staying in his house for his whole life, you know, and I, I, I just, I feel like in our field where we're designing products for customers and users, it's like, nah, we need to have human contact and, and get out there. You know, like I, 
you know, I, I, when I'm feeling really low, I reach out to a friend and I have to dump, you know, and say, ah, you know, and have them tell me. And, you know, I, I feel like I, I just hope, you know, we don't lose everything as a result of this, you know, online world that we live in now. I don't think so. I mean, I certainly hope not. I think I do feel that there's a hybrid version of it that's going to be more more pronounced than I mean, we went to such an extreme this past year. Yeah. I do think there's going to be a hybrid, a hybrid world uh, in front of us. Haven't quite figured it out yet, but little by little, I think it'll, it'll fall into place. Um, let's end on a couple of inspiration pieces. Where do you get your inspiration? Hmm. My inspiration now, uh, it's probably, I, I consume a lot of film, you know, um, I like to have a big impact. I actually went to the movie theater on Sunday by myself, bought a ticket to go see, uh, Ich bin deine uh, I am your man, a German film about, uh, a, a man robot who was built you know, to, to learn uh, what a woman wants. And then they program him to be the perfect partner. And, uh, you know, it was amusing. And I got to see, like, to walk into it, to have it open up and see all of Mitte Berlin and see the TV tower and see the food and see inside the flat, like, because I miss Berlin so much right now. And I felt like when I got out of there, like I had just gone to Berlin, like I, it, it, it just reminded me of all these tiny little things. And I just feel like, um, so I get a lot of inspiration from being able to transport myself into different realities physically and, you know, through film, you know? And so, you know, right now, you know, traveling is limited, but I, I definitely get my inspiration from seeing other cultures, uh, other ways to live, like living in, I, I lived in Berlin for most of the pandemic and it took months, but after being there almost and away from here for so many months, it really, when you experience other cultures, it makes you appreciate and also find things you don't like about your own culture. But I feel like having perspective is what inspires me. Love that. Of that and for creativity to bloom, um, do you need that spark of inspiration for creativity to happen, or is there another thing you tap into when you sit down to write or to do another wireframe or to to create? Where's what would you tap into for that? I don't know. I wish I could answer that. Um, I don't, I don't know. You know, I have a, I spend my days, you know, I, I have the computer, then I go and walk, you know, uh, on, a, on a trail. It's extremely important for me to get out and walk in nature. And I do that every day. And I listen to the same three prod podcasts, you know, the, the New York times, you know, day thing, whatever that's called the Berlin briefing and then Doug Rushkoff's, you know, team human and, that stuff while I'm like in nature and walking around, listening to these podcasts again, I guess I, I feel transported and I feel immersed. And I, I think that when I leave the house and when I come back, whether I'm jogging or whether I'm, 
you know, in music, of course, I'm always listening to music and weird experimental atonal music that nobody would like unless they're into weird music. Um, that helps me really reset, you know, the, the crazy stuff we're telling ourselves in our head or just like being in a mundane moment. Like I think like sitting at a computer more than four hours, not healthy, you know, for me. I love that. Yeah. Both, both for creativity and inspiration. It's not going to happen nine to five necessarily looking at a little screen but to mm-hmm. be able to get out is, and just get other influences. Yeah. I do find nature so healing in so many ways. And um, so my ideation just goes off the roof when I'm out, out and about. You know? Where do you go? Where do you get your nature? My favorite place is Point Doom oh. in Malibu. But yeah, there's, there's a little, it's a very easy little hike, but you are at eye level of the pelicans flying by. Oh. And it's just the most incredible just sensation sitting there and you see these majestic birds just flying right at your eye level. It's just that place. So whenever I can, whether it's a birthday or an anniversary or something special, that's where I like to go. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jamie, where can people find you? Um, People can find me uh, on LinkedIn at Jamie R. Levy, J-A-I-M-E. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm not tweeting so much. I was told I need to get on Instagram, but I'm like, what? Uh, um, And then uh, jamielevy.com and then the book userexperience.com. I'd love to just mention if people uh, don't like to like to go walk in nature, I recorded my audible book um, at this great uh, studio in the valley where I grew up. And it's me reading my book and uh, doing some impressions of myself. And it's a lot of stories. And um, so far, the reviews have been really favorable. And so if you're not in a big reader like my me, I hate I don't really like reading. I, I can read an article, but long format, not so good. Um, check out my Audible book. If you're not sure, go to userexperiencestrategy.com and listen to the first two chapters and try it on. Um, but I'm really excited about the Audible, you know, for my book. I self-produced it, paid for it, and uh, it's mine. So that was important to me, you know. Yeah. I actually would love to know more about your studio. I can I can ask you offline um, for that, unless if you want to share it here. D-E-Y-A-N, D-E-Y-A-N Audio, and I think they're in Tarzana. Beyond Audio? Yeah, D-E-Y-A-N. Oh, Dion, okay. Um, my God, they've recorded some huge, huge, uh, you know, actors and, and it was, it's, it's, it's so crazy doing uh, an audio book. That was such a weird experience. And of course I didn't get good at it till like the third and the fifth chapter, you know, it's like, you know, $7,000 later. Uh, but they, 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 uh, I'm still very happy with it and it's, very different now to listen to other people's audiobooks after you record your own, you know, and <laughs> you know, so hopefully if you do one for your book, which I definitely recommend you can do it at a, at a lower budget, you don't flub it as much as I did. No, I will definitely check it out. Cause it, so many people have asked and it's such a personal story that I really can't hire somebody else to do it. So it has to be my voice. That's how I and, felt. Uh, 
when I get out of the mindset of, oh my gosh, who wants to listen to me? Uh, I'll pull the, I'll pull the plug and go do it. Oh, you have a great voice. You're fine. I'll listen to you. I would love to listen to you. So please do it. <laughs> you take me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and being here and sharing your story with, with our audience. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Artisan Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Artisan Creative, a staffing and recruitment firm specializing in creative, marketing, and digital talent. You can find us online at artisancreative.com or via social channels at Artisan Creative. We look forward to connecting. Mm-hmm.